Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. You are listening to Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure, on Radio Free Brooklyn. Welcome to episode 249 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's program, we have, as a featured guest, performing artist, playwright, and monologist, Martin Dockery. He talks with us about his story, about his influences, his methods, our impermanence on the planet, human internal questions about how we are all storytellers, We are a tribe. You got to start with humor about his dog and about the point of it all, among other things. Great conversation with highly acclaimed playwright and performing artist, monologist, Martin Dockery on today's program. We also have an EWSA titled Fabric. Another Uncle Cesare installment by our associate producer, Dr. Michael Pavis, titled A Working Actor, and a poem called Red Hot. And, of course, as is always the case, we have all of this warmed, infused, energized with several great tunes. It's nice to have you with us. Let's get to it. Episode 249 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours.
fabric. The government from the top down to the very bottom looks to me as if the ideas of sanctity and justice objectively have no home. They have been pushed out of the way by empty palindromes of mediocrity at best. Forget about the rest. What about children's health care in the U.S.? What about community projects being funded with our public dollars? The education, health, and welfare of our people. Please don't wave the star-spangled red, white, and blue rag in my face. It means absolutely nothing when corrupt puppets of the corporate welfare state trample and dismantle what that cloth symbol truly represents. Can we mature as a society past the win-at-all-costs mindset that drives the small-minded, insidious mentality of the Republican oligarchy? It is never too late, but I see the hopeful, inclusive sense of love being more and more replaced with empty, mindless hate as our fabric of humanity is coming apart from the inside by our own hands because we are lost and seemingly ill-equipped. Though all can change if we can stop and rearrange our formula to equal reason and justice.
Martin Dockery, is that you? That is me. How are you doing? Good. Thank you so much for being on Troubadours and Rock On Tours. Oh, thanks for having me on. Well, it's a pleasure. And uh, before we get started, I'd like to share with the listeners some background information about you, <coughs> if you don't mind. Uh-huh. Oh, no, of course not. Go ahead, please. Okay. Brooklyn-based Martin Dockery spends the majority of the year touring his eight one-person shows through Canada, Australia, the UK, and the US. Six of them are autobiographical, Wanderlust, The Surprise, The Bike Trip, The Holy Land, Experience, The Exclusion Zone, and Delirium. And two are fictional, Bursting Into Flames and The Dark Fantastic. He has won Best of Fest awards at theater festivals in Vancouver, Ottawa, New York, Orlando, London, Toronto, Edmonton, Winnipeg, Victoria, San Francisco, and Adelaide. He's performed at the Melbourne Comedy Festival, the Edinburgh Festival, the Piccolo Spoleto Festival, and twice headlined the London Storytelling Festival in England. Dockery has also written and performed with his theater company, Concrete Drops. He has toured with Vanessa Quesnelli across North America in his original two-person plays, Oh, That Wily Snake, The Pit, Moonlight After Midnight, and Love is a Battlefield and with John Patterson in Inescapable. He has a B.A. in English from Kenyon College, where he won the Paul Newman Award for Acting, and an M.F.A. in Playwriting from Columbia University. Martin Dockery, it's nice to have you on the program. Well, that, w- that was a very nice intro. Uh, you, got, you, you, you did it with a plum. <laughs> so thanks for, thanks for having me on. Oh, thank you. Well, let's get right in. Um, first of all, you're a storyteller, among other things. Yeah. And let, yeah. let's hear a bit about your story. You know, how, how did you end up doing right. what you do? Let's tell, tell a story about my story. Yes. Um, you know, uh, I, mean, I mean, first of all, like everybody's a storyteller, you know, right from the moment we start talking. And uh, I think the difference is that I have some sort of uh, compulsion or drive to do it uh, in a public setting on, on stage uh, in an environment where no one else is allowed to speak or interrupt me. So I can just talk uh, for for long periods of time, and and hopefully what I'm saying is interesting or amusing or compelling, and uh, there's some sort of connection that is made in the room between what is happening on the stage and what is happening in the audience, and that's that's what sort of uh, has always driven me to uh, to do this, to do theater in general, and then more specifically to do storytelling is that that energy that's sort of like a thing you can't quite touch or put your hand on but which is palpable in the room circulating between uh between everybody even if i'm the only one that's actually doing any speaking uh yeah so that's my answer (laughs) so that's a good one so when when you're up there though i mean you you have to speak for I, i would i would think at least an hour right without anybody else uh helping you along uh do you have a script or no there's no I, so I'll, I'll get up and you know i'll i'll uh, there's no script i don't write any of these shows that i do down and they are all an, an hour long and um you could call them monologues or stories or one-man shows and i will um you know kind of like think about something that i think would make for an interesting uh you know arc for an evening a sort of a a collection of stories that themselves will 
present sort of a, a journey that a character is making, that character being me since they're autobiographical stories. But hopefully there are stories that are that are relate to what is going on in the lives of everybody in the room. You know, they're dealing with love and death and, and betrayal and friendship and disappointment and, and you know, these emotions and situations that we all find ourselves in the details of which might be different when I'm talking about them, but the emotion is, uh, is, is the same for all of us. And, uh, so I don't write them down, but I'll think about what will make for a good story, and then I will uh, kind of speak it out loud to myself uh, when I'm alone in my apartment and I'm really sure that no one can hear me because it's embarrassing to think that your neighbors can hear you talking to yourself in your apartment. So, uh, in fact, I have told the neighbors downstairs, I'm like, look, I'm not crazy. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out what I'm going to say on stage uh, at any given moment. And then... And then I'll, I'll do the show uh, having figured out what I want to say, but not having written it down and not having memorized it so that when the story is being told, it, it is in some ways happening in the moment, in the room. It is, it is not a sort of a, you know, a memorized experience. It's that I'm actually searching for the words that I'm going to speak. And I think that that subtle uh, way of delivering a story uh, it comes across people can feel that like this is not a, this is not just a totally rehearsed thing this is something that's happening right now and the immediacy I think lends both credibility and energy to the proceedings uh, and then I will get up on stage and I'll I'll talk and it's sort of a little bit flying by the seat of my pants and and I think that makes for a sort of more exciting experience in any case uh, both for myself and for the audience you know yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like you must in some way stri- try to, to connect with uh, whomever is in the room, which, you know, that, that must, I mean, that sounds like uh, you have to have a certain ability to do that. You know? well, I, have, I have a good short-term memory. So when I'm in my apartment by myself trying to figure out what I want to say and the order in which I want to say it, I'm good at having you know being able to go up on stage later and remember what I wanted to say I have a, I have a terrible long-term memory so you know um, like I, I fear for like should I ever get any form of dementia which generally seems to cut out one's short-term memory then I'll be left with nothing but uh, that itself might be an interesting sort of uh, experience but we'll, we'll see when that comes <laughs> well yeah I, I would I would have to say uh, it seems to me you're relatively young so you have some time before that happens. I got some time I have yeah. some time I hope but who knows who knows how much time we all have right I mean that's the I think that's sort of the essential existential um, question and mystery at, yeah. the, at the heart of everything that we are uh, trying to do when we get up on stage is to sort of in one way or another tackle that question of our impermanence and what we're doing with this brief time that we have uh, here on earth to interact with everybody around us. Well put, well put. Now you, you've been doing this for, for how long now? So I started doing storytelling in, um, I started going to open mics here where I live in New York city in, I think it was like 2002 or something like that. Uh, going up on stage and just doing five minute, Bits, and I really uh, took to it, uh, you know, uh, in in my heart because 
I really liked the immediacy. You know, I, I've always previous to that, I'd, I went to graduate school for playwriting, and I really love playwriting and still do it now. But there's a lot, there's a lot of you sitting alone working on made up conversations between made up characters, and then hopefully you can get enough people all on the same page to pool their resources so you can then do this play somewhere. And doing the storytelling is just me alone. There's not a lot of preparation, and I'm telling a true story about my own self to other people in the room who've, as I was saying before, have not experienced the actual story, but certainly have experienced whatever neuroses or conflicts are at the heart of the story. And so I'm, you know, I'm performing, but I'm performing as myself. It's like I'm doing something that's uh, that's that's not written ahead of time, but is composed in my mind ahead of time. And it all, it all happens very quickly. And that is a, sort of an exciting thing. So I started 2002 going to open mics. And then the first uh, full-length show that I did was like uh, in 2007, first hour-long show. And then I really, uh, I really started just touring and dedicating my, my life to doing that in 2009. And so I've been doing that as a full-time thing, just touring uh, to mostly to theater festivals um, all over the place. And I, and I tour about six months of the year, six to seven months of the year. Yeah, and I, I believe our associate producer, Dr. Michael Pavise, uh, crossed paths with you at the Scranton French Festival, right? Yeah, he did. Yeah. That was very nice. Yeah. Yeah. He, he loved your work. He loved it. That's why he asked you to be on the program. Um, oh, well, thanks. And he's a tough critic, so that's saying something. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, um, yeah, it's a... Uh, you know, it's an interesting thing. As I said, starting off, I like we're all we're all storytellers, and yet there's something. There is this thing now. That, there's a lot. You know, there's programs on the radio, on podcasts, on different cities, of like storytelling having this sort of coming into its own as an art form in this particular window of time. This thing that we all do from the moment we can speak. This thing that human beings have been doing since the beginning of time is weirdly being considered a a new thing now even though it's been with us both personally and his, and historically forever uh, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing well, i think uh, yeah I, I i agree it's very interesting and i uh, your I, again your your sense of history too i agree with it's it, it in a way has been lost over you know the recent history the recent times that the ability or the the inclination to tell stories I, I think so uh, what you're doing maybe resuscitates it I do know that a lot of cities have storytelling uh, outings where they bring folks in and they set a topic up and then the community comes together and they share yeah. their common or, you know, I guess common eternal struggles Yeah, that that comes with being a human being. So that's good, I think, for humanity. Yeah. It's good for society, right? It's also like um, it's very accessible, you know, and that every, since everybody has stories, anybody could get up and, and tell one. You don't you don't they don't have to be funny. You know, they could be serious stories. So they're not only judged on, unlike stand-up comedy, which essentially is going to be just judged on whether it's funny, you know, at the end of the day. This is takes that sort of, whatever, pressure or rule or constraint off, and people can get up and just tell a story. And if it's funny, great. If it's, if it's serious, great, whatever. It, they may, it may not be a good story, but it's still very... Um, 
and anybody can get up and do it. Since we all have practice doing it already in life, telling stories. Um, and that, I think, has kind of been the new thing about it, is that suddenly someone who's never been a performer can just decide, you know what, I'm gonna, I want to get up and tell a story in front of other people. You know, it's much more difficult to do it with stand-up comedy because you need to really, like, practice and, and be in the trenches doing stand-up comedy for a long time before you get any good at it. But someone who has a good story could just get up and, and just hold an audience's attention the first time they get up. And, uh, and so I think you also have this feeling that the people that are at these storytelling nights are just like you and me. They're just regular people who just they, they want to have that thrill uh, of connecting with an, a group of people they don't know and will never know except for this little five minutes of time that they're up there telling a story. Do you do you believe, though, timing is important? I mean, you can't just go up there and, you know, oh, pull no, through I mean, uh, yeah. a story. You have to have a sense. Well, absolutely. I mean, there there's going to be people who are good at it and people who are not good at telling a story. And then there's going to be some people who are not good at telling a story, but their story is so good anyway that that, you know, it doesn't matter if they're particularly savvy storyteller, particularly savvy performer with good timing or, or, or sense of like narrative structure. It's just their story might be so heart wrenching or so incredible that it carries itself. And so in that way, anybody can get up and tell, could tell a story, you know, um, different than somebody just being able to get up and, and, and be able to do humor. Uh, and the humor just, carrying itself regardless of whether the person telling the story has any sense of timing or or sense of you know the structure of a joke so you know somebody who consistently can get up and and tell good stories and can make stories uh compelling when the actual stories themselves perhaps are on the surface rather mundane you know that that takes a particular artistic uh ability i think are, are yours, um, the stories that you tell, some of the shows that we mentioned, you have several shows, you have a, a repertoire you can go into, uh, are they mainly um, uh, comedic or are they a mix? Or are, they, are they sometimes, you know, just, you know, heart-wrenching too? Well, I think that, I mean, they're hope, I want them to be all things, you know, I'd like for people when it's over to feel like, wow, I just, I just experienced every, every emotion you know that was a full meal. I I I felt everything that human beings feel during that hour, and and if if I achieve that, then then I then I feel like I've done everything I would want to do uh, when people give me an hour of their time. And you know, I think that it's for me. I like to start off with it being funny because I think humor is a great way of establishing with an audience that that you you think like they do you know if you can get someone if you can get anybody to laugh that means that you understand each other in a certain way you have certain uh perspective on life that allows you to share uh this involuntary uh spasm that we have called laughter you know that we don't uh 
control or decide upon, but which we emit this sound, and I think this sound is a signal to the to everyone around us that we we are copacetic with the person who made the joke. So it's a kind of a great way to begin a show and have it be funny and have a room full of people vocally signaling to each other that like, okay, we are we are a tribe. We all we all get it. And then from there, you can you can kind of go to uh, other other uh, either more emotional or stranger or more uh, philosophical places. I think once the audience trusts that, like, okay, we're you know, I, I you and I think alike. Do Do you remember any particular uh, poignant moments? Um, God, well, I mean. You mean like in term, insofar as performing? Yes. That I, I've had while performing? Yes. Well, uh, the, there certainly are, are, you know, there are moments afterwards where people will want to, you know, uh, tell their story. Uh, that whatever I was talking about on stage will, you know, will inspire them to want to connect with me with what they have to say. And that it's always interesting for me because, you know, I'll be up there telling a story about an experience that I had and you, you can you can never know what anyone in the audience is going through or what this is sort of what memory this is triggering or, or emotion or something like that. So you know, people will come up afterwards and wanna tell me about something it it could be anything, it could be funny, but it could also, you know, as you said, poignant. There'll be times uh you know, if people want to come up, like this, this show that I was doing in Scranton, uh, there's a lot about my dog who, who passed away. And, and, uh, this, this dog Lucy was, was really was my closest, you know, companion in so many ways. And so obviously there are a lot of people that want to tell me afterwards about their, 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 dogs or cats or or pets you know uh that i think that like you know we we with our pets and in this particular instance we suffer a lot of heartbreak sort of alone because you know it's hard for other people to really understand the the deep feelings and connections we can have with these animals with one's animals you know you hear someone's pet die you're like oh i'm sorry to hear that you, it's hard to fully connect with the pain that someone might be going through. So if someone hears me up on stage talking about this pain that I went through with mine, then afterwards, you know, they'll come up. There was one woman who came up and she just, she gave me a photograph. She just had this photograph in her purse and she's like, this is, you know, I, I, she's like, I don't know why I've been carrying around this photograph. I guess I've been carrying around for this moment here. And she just gave me a picture of, her dog, you know, and then, and now I have a picture of this woman's dog. I don't really know what to do with it, to be honest. Like now, you know, we all have all these things we accumulate in life and, and, you know, and they, you put them in a drawer and then you're cleaning out the drawer and then you come in like, ah, the picture with this woman's dog. It's just a dog. I don't know the dog, you know, but I can't throw it away. You know, it was given to me at this moment. So I'm like, okay, I got to find another place to put this photo, uh, along with all the millions of other things we all accumulate in life. But, you know, those, those moments are pretty, pretty uh pretty special and yeah indeed they, yeah that 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 is very that's poignant for sure that just that connection with that woman you shared and, and the photograph 
that meant yeah. a lot to her, and thus, and you see that, and and you yeah. you can't just throw the picture away. It would be disrespectful, even though she would never know. She would never know, and I I don't know. Like, how long will I have this picture of this dog? You know, I mean, how how many drawers will it be moved between until finally I I will pass away and someone will be going through my possessions and they will come across this dog and they will think that perhaps that dog had been my dog and that I must have had a very special connection with that dog and they will feel terrible at throwing away this picture of this animal that I must have had that I must have loved otherwise why would have kept it amongst you know these possessions and and then they will be faced with the conundrum of having to throw out a picture of this very very cute looking little animal yeah exactly and it passes yeah. on to another set of drawers and such another set of drawers yep Martin Dockery we're talking with today. Uh, he is a performing artist, a playwright, a monologist. Is that the right, right pronunciation? You are listening to Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure, on Radio Free Brooklyn. Yeah, you know, who knows, right? <laughs> I'm right? <not> sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You know, it's the one word uh, amongst many that was never said when I was in school. No one ever, there was never a moment whenever, whenever, when anybody ever said that word. So I don't think I ever really heard people saying that word. And now here I am. Claiming to be doing, one. <laughs> claiming to be one, and I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce this. <laughs> uh, it's a pleasure talking with you. We have probably about five minutes or so, and I, I want to, um, before we... We close out with something of more substance uh, in terms of what you do. Let me give you an opportunity to, to share maybe some contact information uh, or maybe even plug some upcoming events if you like. Well, I, I have a website, you know, um, and it is very has a very creative name of my name. So it's uh, that's www.martindockery. It's one word. It's my name. Uh, .com. So martindockery.com. And... Uh, I think, you know, I'm going to go to Toronto on January 2nd, which is a little less than a month. And there's a festival there called the Next Stage Festival. And I will actually be performing a play that I wrote, a two-person play that my wife, Vanessa, uh, we, we tour around and we perform these uh, plays. We've done, we've done a bunch of them. And so we will be doing... Uh, this play called Moonlight After Midnight uh, for two weeks uh, f- during the first two weeks of January in Toronto. So that's something that's coming up. Yeah, yeah. And they, lo- they yeah. love you in Toronto. They love you in Canada. They love you, well, all over the place, well, it seems. Well, I, I love me some Canada, too. You know, uh, l- love it to the extent that I, I, I married a Canadian. So, I, you know, I can't get away from Canada now. <laughs> and I suppose they can't get away from me either. Yeah, but, uh, it comes you know, both th- ways. This time of year is is always uh, is the time when you I have to try and figure out what my calendar for next year is going to be, what festivals will happen, because they all happen generally when when the weather is good. So, you know, that's sort of what I'm trying to figure out right now. Well, I'm I'm sure you're going to have a lot of gigs. It seems uh, you have uh, again a lot of acclaim and. Uh, my my compliments. I I, w- I have to see one of your shows. I'm very curious now. Uh, yeah. I I also want to give you an opportunity. We have, as I say, we have several minutes left. Um, if you want to give the listeners a taste of something that you would do on stage, or if you want to just share some insights, generally speaking, to your fellow humans that are listening to Troubadours and Rock on Tours, 
Here's your opportunity. Well, I think that, um, I mean, it's difficult to, there isn't like a little kind of like monologue I have in my head. You know, I think that in in creating a show, you know, uh, I try to, uh, uh, you know, think of like these 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 stories these moments when there's some some sort of like uh emotional something emotional is at stake some some it's not so much about the plot of the stories or the plot of what's going on you know that i don't think is as compelling or interesting than what somebody is trying to figure out in their mind about what they should or shouldn't do in a particular situation and about what they are uh, feeling about it and and you know that all these stories ultimately are about trying to make connections with other people. That's what the stories are about, and then that's also what I'm trying to do on stage with an audience. And just as in the stories, where sometimes it's successful, uh, and sometimes it's not on stage. Sometimes it's successful, and sometimes it's not. You know, it's 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 never this like uh, finished project. N- neither what happens on stage nor our stories in our lives. Sometimes you get up on stage and you tell a story and you feel like it's not, it's not happening. It's not clicking. It's not, there's, there's people in the audience who thought that they were coming to something else who are tired, who, who fall asleep, you know, and, uh, and, and there are moments where it's exactly the opposite where everybody's fully wide eyed and on board. And I think, and what's, what one learns as a performer, hopefully over time, is how to weather the ups and the downs uh, of the actual performance in equal measure and to not uh, believe in, in either of them uh, too much, you know, that you are neither like the, uh, the best thing to ever happen to uh, theater or storytelling or, or the worst thing, because you can be made to feel both depending how a particular, one particular show goes. And it's only by getting up on stage and, and just performing lots and lots and lots that you hopefully get some sort of greater sense of of uh, what you're doing and 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 why you're doing it. You know that you're doing it just just hopefully to have those moments of connection that are essentially fleeting because the theater is ephemeral, and that how that is in all ways like life, and that we are all trying to make connections with other people and that relationships are fleeting and everything is ultimately ephemeral but there are moments of disappointment and joy and that that's what makes all of this stuff uh, uh, worthwhile <laughs> beautiful just, yeah, I don't know no, that's uh, an, that was an answer to yeah. a question whether that was the question you asked or not is, is hard to say I didn't fall asleep I was compelled Good, good, good. I've had people fall asleep. Let me tell you how tar- hard that is because we are conditioned in life that if you were telling a story to someone and they fall asleep, you should probably stop telling that particular story and to be on stage and see someone falling asleep in front of you. But there are other people in the room who are not. It's, uh, it's, really, it's really something to just ignore all that conditioning and soldier on with your story in the face of utter uh, indifference. <laughs> <laughs> hey, th- that's a great lesson for life, truly. Yeah, it is, I think. Yeah. 
Well, Martin Dockery, thank you so much for taking time out in the program. I, be, I wish you the best with the upcoming year, with your storytelling and, and your pursuit of whatever it is you're pursuing. Exactly. Whatever it is we're all pursuing, right? Exactly. Whatever this stuff is. Yeah, I'm not sure what the point of what I'm doing is either. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if any of us really know what the point of what we're doing is, except that, um, you know, that like we have to, we we have to, we are compelled to try and do something that'll make a difference. And I don't mean it on like some global scale, but like on an interpersonal way that will make a difference and make us feel like we are really here. This is all this all matters and that it is not just a a pointless exercise uh this thing called life beautiful beautiful thank you so much mr doctor yeah well thanks for having me on it's been fun take care bye-bye
A Working Actor Our depressed former coal town boasts a number of performers who shook off the dust of this little town, as Jimmy Stewart says in It's a Wonderful Life, and headed to Hollywood. The most famous of our native sons remains Jason Miller, who was nominated for an Academy Award for playing Father Damien Karras in The Exorcist, a horror classic, and, at the time of its release, a cultural phenomenon. He was primed to be a star of the new Hollywood of the 70s. He made movies and TV films until the end of his life, but his star and career dimmed. Similarly, he won a Tony and Pulitzer Prize for his play that championship season and wrote very few plays in the years following. So successful in his early 30s, he became a poster child for the curse of early promise. Jason had his demons, but that's another story. There were others who fled coal dust in search of stardust. Charles Emmett Mack was a peanut vendor at the circus, a vaudeville dancer, and a prop man for D.W. Griffith, and appeared in 17 silent films before dying in a car crash at 26. Alan Jones, though claimed by a neighboring borough mainly known for its many varieties of pizza, was, by some accounts, born in our town. Jones, a gifted singer, wooed Kitty Carlyle in A Night at the Opera, the Marx Brothers gem, and romanced Jeanette MacDonald with The Donkey Serenade, an unlikely hit tune. He kept singing and acting to the end of his life. I saw him perform in Man of La Mancha at a dinner theater. From straight man to Groucho, to a touching Don Quixote, belting the final notes of the impossible dream as blue-haired ladies finish their rice pudding. Not a bad run. And there was Gloria Jean, who played opposite W.C. Fields in his late masterpiece Never Give a Sucker an Even Break, and Jerry Lewis in The Ladies' Man. And Elizabeth Scott, who was the fallen woman in love with Van Heflin's cynical gambler in The Strange Love of Martha Ivers, the bizarre noir with Barbara Stanwyck, and, in his movie debut, Kurt Douglas, and Erwin Wynne Foreman. Not a household name, but a fascinating character. In the 1950s, he had a local radio show with his wife, and then he moved to New York City and worked in radio, television, and theater, appearing on Broadway in Sunrise, a Campobello, with Ralph Bellamy as FDR. He was in Summer Wishes, Winter Dreams, a Joanne Woodward melodrama as Fred Goody, and my favorite, the television adaptation of Truman Capote's A Christmas Memory. Wynne played the clerk in the general store, selling the ingredients for a fruitcake to Geraldine Page. For my money, one scene with the great Geraldine Page equals immortality. And this was before Wynne became a sculptor, painter, and potter, creating 175 platters depicting creation myths of the world's cultures. John Mayen survived polio and wrote a book about his survival, A Life of Make-Believe, From Paralysis to Hollywood, 
and had a long career in movies and television, starting with a cameo in The Exorcist with his friend Jason Miller, as a lab technician listening to the devil's foul rants, and continuing with character parts in everything from Kojak to M.A.S.H. to The X-Files to Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, TV auteur Aaron Sorkin's one-season flop about a Saturday Night Not Live-like show. And finally, there was Charles Thomas Murphy, called Corky, a college friend of Jason Miller and John Mayen. Corky was from my part of town, and along with Jason, was in my pantheon of childhood heroes. An appearance by Corky on television, in The Waltons, or Laverne and Shirley, or Alice, was an event, and it was a thrill to see his name flash by in the end credits. He was a stage actor as well, on and off Broadway, and in regional theaters throughout the country, and appeared in movies, notably Peter Bogdanovich's Nickelodeon and Mel Brooks's History of the World, Part One. But sitcoms were his bread and butter until an accident tragically derailed his career, an accident that cruelly affected his memory and mobility. As his obit in the local paper stated, Corky was proud of being a working actor. It doesn't seem to be much of a distinction, but it is to anyone aware of the skill, perseverance, and luck needed to survive, let alone thrive, in the difficult and usually heartbreaking profession. I met Corky once. My friends and I ended up at a local diner late one night after the bars closed, and as we wolfed down turkey club sandwiches and fries with gravy, Corky regaled us with tales of Hollywood. I was agog. The man sitting across the sticky table from me worked with Jack Lemon. Jack Lemon, of the apartment, and Mr. Roberts, in days of wine and roses, and some like it hot. Now that's stardust. Corky wasn't boasting or bragging or trying to impress his former townsfolk. He was kindly and enthusiastically sharing his joy in the life he pursued and, against the odds, attained. Corky was in a two-part Barney Miller episode in which he played a hapless man who finds a suitcase full of cash. As he awaits the claimants, he interacts with the crazy gang at the precinct house. I imagine a grateful insomniac chuckling as he watches this episode at four in the morning on TV land. Perhaps an image from the show floats in space forever via satellite. There's Corky, still working, still acting. Thank you. 
Sweet story of morning glory and late afternoon autumn chill on this windowsill as a pot of aloe and a bowl of avocado send an ambiance of green through my eyeballs into my soul and this heart pumps hot red yet another day.
And there you have it, episode 249 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks that made this episode happen. First and foremost, performing artist and playwright Martin Dockery. Also, our associate producer and resident essayist Uncle Cesare. And these musical artists, Django Reinhardt, Stefan Grappelli, Phoebe Bridges, ACDC, the Eels, Girl Anachronism, The Band, and of course Terrence Blanchard and Brantford Marsalis too. Until next week, enjoy this one. Thanks for listening.